scripture is from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it has been written about him. Thanks, Cindy. Uh, we need to start by thanking our, our teams. This morning I woke up uh, and then was working on the sermon, and then after that about 8.30 today I got a call, and it was pretty clear that it was unlikely we were going to have church today. Yeah, the building was, uh, you know, for, for power outside of our control, it didn't look like we were going to be here and uh, the team uh, scrambled. They got things going. Uh, can we thank the band, the setup team, the sound team, everybody here is set up. It was about 45 minutes pushed back today, and yet there's folks showing up, like, I don't know, 9.30 to do their part. And I was like, oh, man, thanks so much for being here, given all that's happening today, you know, not knowing if we're going to be in here. Like, that happened? And I was like, that is the coolest compliment we can give to the team setting up. Uh, so if you'd like to hold babies, there's opportunity for you to do that. If you'd like to set up and tear down, there's opportunity to do that. It's a fun uh, group of folks to be a part of, just a community setting up. Man, I was so impressed. I mean, this team is so positive, and even in the midst of, oh my goodness, we have zero time to get this all done. So we, uh, it's just a reminder of how thankful I am, how thankful we are as a community to have these guys and these teams. Uh, so if you see them, uh, thank them, and, and feel free to join the team. Well, this morning, we come to the great story of the transfiguration in the book of Mark. Um, and I thought, by way of introducing the topic, uh, there's this book in my home that I've kind of hidden away. We can go ahead and show the picture of it. Uh, that I've kind of hidden away. It's, it's the other one, actually. Um, thank you. Uh, I've hidden this one away because it is creepy. I don't want my kids to find it and ask me to read it for the bedtime. Um, because if, for those of you listening online or having a hard time seeing the, the picture of this, this cover, it's this kid, this toddler with a kind of a weird smirk on his face in like just this destroyed, uh, you know, messy bathroom. And he is right perched up next to, I think his arm is actually in contact with an open-faced toilet bowl. And there are uh, toilet paper strands coming both inside and outside of this bowl. And the title is Love You Forever. Like, what? Like, I could imagine a title being with that kind of cover saying, like, The Adventures of Potty Training or something, but it's Love You Forever. And by the way, the inside contents aren't much better. It's basically, you can see what they're going for. Okay, I love you even if you mess up and get yourself dirty in the bathroom. The inside contents is th this mom basically stalking her son throughout his whole life, even into his late stage 
uh, anyways, it's a weird book. If you like it, I commend you for it. I know we have some friends who like it. Um, and actually, the only reason why I haven't burned it, I do, I've had hidden it, and they find it, and I'll read it, whatever. The only reason for that is it's actually good. It, it, it does a good job of communicating this big topic to kids of parental love to, to you know, son and daughter. And so that's, that's a worthy thing. Okay, uh, the next picture is actually my favorite book. It's called How Much Does God Love You? And no, I don't just like it because I'm a pastor and it's spiritual and all that. It, I love it because it does in such a brilliant way. It communicates this enormous, this immense topic of God's love and makes it palpable for my five-year-old, for my two-year-old. Uh, you know, God loves you uh, more than the, the muddiest puddle, and there's a picture of this kid just having a blast and making a mess, right? More than the bounciest ball of all these things that are very nice, God loves you most of all. Okay, it's a little cheesy, but I love it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, more than the, uh, you know, juiciest slime, more than the fuzziest bunny, that sort of thought. And, you know, it's actually interesting. This past week, uh, my five-year-old uh, found out unexpectedly, like a little surprise, he was going to get to meet some friends and meet their new cat, and he erupted. He's like, best day ever. That's my little five-year-old, which is such a, I mean, oh, to be five again and all that. It's such a true feeling for him. It's such a real, maybe it's not the best, but that's a real thought. And what I love about this book is it captures that thought. You know how much even seeing, how much you love and get excited about seeing friends or a bunny, God loves you still more. And the reason why I mention all of that is I believe that's what's happening in the text that we're looking at today. The, what Jesus is doing, what God the Father is doing, and why this text is preserved for us is to show us adults how much God loves us. He pulls back the veil to show us, I love you more than you have any clue about. He does that with Peter, James, and John on this hillside, on this mount, this transfiguration, and he does so for us to consider today. So that's what I want to look at with you today is three thoughts uh, of God's, how much God loves us, and why that matters. Um, so first, uh, how much does God love us? Well, he, he loves you. Uh, his love is actually uh, out of this world. Now, I'm not one for cutesy points, okay? So I actually mean that literally, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to be cute here. His love is literally out of this world. We see that here in, in the text. So for instance, verse 3, his clothes, that is Jesus when he, became, when he was transfigured, became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Or verse 4, and there appeared Elijah and Moses. These guys just kind of came on the scene, okay? There's something extra going on here. And then verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. But I think most striking of all, what we see here in this text is a reference to Jesus' divinity and a reference to his humanity. Because in verse 7, God the Father shows up, and what does he say? This is my son. And then down in verse 9, Jesus, in referencing himself, talks about himself as the son of man. God's love for you, for me, is out of this world. This uh, thought of the son of man is a really uh, powerful phrase that was a title that, that goes back uh, many, many years, century, even millennia, in the Old Testament times. Uh, it was a really powerful thought that the Jews, Peter, James, and John, certainly would have known what Jesus was referencing. This son of man, it has to do with what we talked about a little bit last week when they declared him Messiah. This messianic figure, the savior of the world, has to do with what Jesus is saying in son of man. But there's two things about the son of man, one of which the disciples would have known, the other which they, they, they weren't getting. 
and we'll talk about that. So the first one is when he, when he was referencing himself as the Son of Man, he's actually talking about what theologians say is the, 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 the conquering king that is the Son of Man. So when there's references in the Old Testament to this Son of Man, it's talking about the conquering king, uh, the one who's ma- coming to make things right and establish his rule and his kingdom. Uh, probably most uh, uh, strongly put, vividly put, is in the book of Daniel. Uh, in one of his prophecies looking forward, uh, Daniel writes this, In my vision at night, this, again, this is, this is centuries before Jesus came. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So how we said this last week in talking about the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, or now the Son of Man, is Jesus was the prophesied king to end all kings, to set up his kingdomship. And by the way, all the disciples would have been intimately familiar with this. As much as I read those stories to my kids, they would have been read or told those stories uh, on their mother's laps from the day they were they were you know, old enough to start to understand this. The Son of Man is coming, the king, the conquering king. But what they didn't make the connection to is that the Son of Man also appears, as much as he does as the conquering king, as what theologians also refer to as the suffering servant. So there's the Son of Man in the Old Testament, conquering king. The same figure, Son of Man, is also called the suffering servant. And I want to read uh, this thought, and then, and then we'll, we'll pull it together. So, for instance, the, probably the, the most classic text in the Old Testament on this is from the book of Isaiah. This is written about 700 years before Christ. He grew up, this is Isaiah talking about the Son of Man. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low uh, esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And skipping down a few verses, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. This son of man. And by the way, it's interesting here, as I'm reading this text, it talks about how he had no beauty or majesty to attract us. That's Jesus. And here he is in the transfiguration, pulling back the veil to say, this is the real me. This is the true self. This is who I am. But on the whole, he was despised. He was not noticed or understood for who he was. And by the way, this suffering servant part of this prophecy of Son of Man being the same as the conquering king was one that gave Peter and John, even in this text, even at the conclusion of this text, trouble, even as it does today, Jewish folks don't make uh, the connection. They say, okay, well, we know the Messiah is the conquering king, the suffering servant. We're not, we're not sure that that's the same, even though the references are all about the same person. Now, why is that? It's because the thought was this person is going to come and establish rule. And this messianic figure can't suffer. 
We saw that last week. Remember this great moment? Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, great, you guys got it. Let me tell you what that means. I must suffer, even die, and rise again. And what does Peter do? He comes back and he rebukes Jesus. No, 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 Jesus. That's not how the Messiah plays out. You don't go and die. Don't talk about that. That's not it. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to now rebuke you, Peter. That's how it has to be. And what we see here in this text is God showing us that's what it has to be. So here we see the Son of God has become the Son of Man for what purpose? To rescue us, to love us. Um, it's, it's, it's talk about the incarnation, we say. So in the book of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, referencing Jesus. He was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. By the way, that John is the same John who was up on this mountaintop for the transfiguration. When he's talking about we have seen his glory, that's what he's talking about. Jesus' unveiled, amped up glory as he truly is in this transfiguration. So what does this mean? Okay, we're going to think about this more as we move forward. But I think for starters, I mean, think about this. God's love is literally out of this world. It means that in God's rescue plan, he didn't just simply give us information. He didn't say, here you guys go. Here's another list of rules to follow, which, by the way, all prophets do, biblical or outside or other religions. Here another thing, set of rules. Here's another set of commandments. He didn't say any of that. He said, here I am to save you. I have come into the world to save you. I've heard this illustration before. There's a woman named uh, Dorothy Sayers, and uh, she is a, a mystery novel uh, novelist uh, who passed away uh, about 60 years ago. Uh, she was one of the first to graduate from Oxford uh, as, as a woman, so a special lady. She wrote these mystery novels, and the main character in her books is this guy named P uh, Lord Peter Whimsey. And uh, he's kind of this flawed guy, but he's the hero. He, he, takes, he takes on these crimes, and uh, he's, a, he's a great character. Um, but out of nowhere, as a single guy, by the way, that'll make sense here, uh, it's important detail here in a second. Uh, but out of nowhere, uh, all of a sudden, uh, along into the series of books, out com of nowhere comes this character named Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane, by the way, uh, was, is described as one of the first ladies to uh, graduate from Oxford. And she is also described as a mystery novelist. And uh, what happens over a period of time is uh, Peter Wimsey and Harriet uh, fall in love and get married and everything ends really well. And a lot of people, a lot of Dorothy Sayers fans say, oh, oh we see what's going on there. Uh, who is Harriet Vane, of course, is uh, Dorothy Sayers looking into the world that she created, this hero that she had, seeing his brokenness, his lost and writing herself into the story in order to save him, which is such a, I mean, that's a cool literary thought. It's a powerful thing, but it pales in comparison to the reality of Jesus, word, maker of the world, seeing us in our brokenness, seeing us in our sense of loss, and writing himself into human history as the main character in order to save us. His love is literally out of this world. Um, number two, God's love has been thoughtfully planned and orchestrated for eons. I loved how the 
that, that song and that prayer you were referencing this, Chris, this is something he's been thinking about for a long time. Where do we get this in the text? I believe this comes from the appearance of Moses and Elijah. I mean, up pop Moses and Elijah. What is the deal with Moses and Elijah? Uh, you know, one of the things I'll do in preparation for sermons is I'll look at, you know, first I'll study it on my own just to try to understand it for myself. And, and then I'll go to commentaries for the purpose of making sure I'm not off base, but also understanding like contextual background. Uh, I will spare you that so many theologians spend so much time talking about why they think Elijah and Moses are there. I mean, they're theologians nerding out, okay? Elijah and Moses, you know, they're there because, uh, yeah, you know, Moses represents the law, and Elijah, he represents all the prophets, which isn't really true in this stand. He was a cool prophet, but anyways, it's like that. And so therefore, Jesus has come to bring fulfillment to the law and the prophets, which maybe, but everybody who said that said, yeah, and this is conjecture. Or, and my favorite, and this is not just one person saying this, you know what Moses and Elijah are there for? It's because they both had unique deaths. And Jesus is getting ready to have a unique death. And so they're there to represent and show that Jesus is getting ready to have a unique death. And I'm just like, okay. And then they're like, by the way, this is conjecture. They're like, yeah, it's conjecture. Here is what I believe to be the low-hanging fruit of why Moses and Elijah are in this book. It's to show that God's love extends to Elijah, excuse me, extends uh, to Peter and James and John, extending back to Elijah, which is about 700 years before Christ, and then to Moses, which was about 2,000 years before Christ. God is letting us know he has been in on this, thinking about Peter, James, and John, and through them, David, Cindy, you, you, forever. And by the way, this is an amazing thought. This just struck me here when I was reading it. We see the Father's presence in here. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Obviously, Jesus is there. My favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. They had Jesus. And I even think, I, I, this is conjecture. Okay, here, there's my conjecture. The cloud, is that the Holy Spirit there? Is, I, I don't, they, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has been thinking about us forever. And by the way, that's in alignment with everything else the Scripture talks about. David, writing a thousand years before Christ, he said this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is Psalm 139. It's not going to be on there. Uh, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then he proclaims this in that same psalm. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. There is consensus on Elijah and Moses. And by the way, all the characters in the Bible, all the stories, they all point to the culmination and need for the Son of Man, that is Jesus. Elijah, that's what this little conversation, we're not going to go through this in great detail, but did you, did you notice this conversation when they're coming down the hillside? The guys are like, what's this deal about Elijah? You know, didn't they say he's going to come and restore all things? And, Pete, and Jesus kind of talks to them about it. Yeah, J Elijah was... In the last book of the Old Testament, a book called uh, Malachi, uh, Elijah was coming, was, was prophesied to come to help everybody's heart be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And he's going to bring people to repentance. Repent. Which, by the way, should hopefully sound familiar. In Matthew's account of the transfiguration, it becomes clear, Jesus was saying, that's happened in John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. That has happened. Elijah was pointing the way to Christ. And by the way, same thing for Moses. Moses, a lot of us know, is the guy who's Exodus, Charles Helston type dude, who delivered the people from, Exodus, uh, from, from Egypt. Well, towards the very end of his life, there were some profound promises made to and through Moses. 
Uh, one of those was uh, from Deuteronomy. Uh, this happens in a couple places, but this is the strongest one. This is Moses talking to the people about something that was going to happen through Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. And then, by the way, in the same verse, it says, you must listen to him. That's interesting. Moses and Elijah were pointing the way to ultimately needing Jesus. And God is saying here, he is pulling, he is amping up the volume. He is pulling the veil back. And he is saying, and he is right here. His name is Jesus. He came to save you. We love you. What are we supposed to do with this? I mean, like, how is this supposed to affect our heart? Um, you know, I mean, w- one thought that's been hitting me uh, now that I'm a, a parent uh, more and more is how much I have, have taken my parents' love for me for granted. So I have some awesome parents. And if you had asked me growing up, even into my youth, David, do you, uh, you know, do you appreciate your parents' love for you, you understand the extent of their love? I would have said, well, no, not fully, but yeah, I mean, you know, for the most part. This side of being a dad, no, I didn't have a clue how much they loved me. And by the way, my five other brothers and sisters, which my parents are awesome. Um, just the way that they loved me and just how I just didn't have an idea how patient they've been with me, how kind, how loving, how sacrificial. I think what's happening here in this transfiguration is God is pulling the veil back as you guys don't even know how much I've been thinking about you and, I, and the extent of love that I have for you. In my son, who is standing before you. Um, the third thought is God's love culminates, of course, in the single greatest act of sacrificial love. I always love as a preacher when the text shows us the point of application for us. Okay, so one of the things, if you're studying the Bible, it's good to be thinking, okay, God doesn't just have this scripture for us uh, to be read in a vacuum. We're supposed to think about it. What is the response that that, you know, God would have for me. And sometimes it's a little challenging, like, what does that mean? Here, it's really straightforward. Listen to him. <laughs> I mean, that's the word. He's like, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. So what does listen to him mean? I wonder if you were like me the first time I read that, and, and I thought that it meant obey Jesus' commands. Jesus teaches things, obey those things. And by the way, it most certainly does mean that. Okay, there's things in our life, if God loves us this much, we should listen to Jesus and, and live for him. I mean, Jesus at one point says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I mean, that just makes sense. But you know what? That is not primarily what is going on when God the Father says, listen to him. It is not saying primarily obey Jesus' commands. Think about the context. The context is last week, I already said this. Jesus said, oh, excuse me, Peter said, you are the Messiah. Jesus said, okay, let me tell you what that means. I must suffer. And they said, no, you're not going to suffer. Yes, I'm going to suffer, said Jesus. This text is God the Father putting the stamp on Jesus' words of saying, yes, he is going to suffer for you. Listen to him. Listen to the fact that he is going to suffer. Listen to how much I love you and how much I've given for you. You know what's amazing to me about this text when you really think about it? Okay, this word transfiguration, what does it mean? It means literally to change. Jesus changed into the glory that he truly is, or at least closer to that. He he dialed it way up. He pulled the veil back. 
in the gospel, listen to how Paul later writes to the church, all those who put their faith in Jesus. He says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed. That word is literally transfigured. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transfigured into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. In other words, here's the gospel. On the cross, Jesus emptied himself of his glory for the sake of giving you and me his glory. Um, Or think of it this way. When God pulls back the veil, it is not in order to terrify you of judgment, but to overwhelm you with his love. That's what this whole veiling, unveiling of who Jesus really is. And by the way, if there's any stark contrast anywhere in the Bible of Jesus didn't deserve to do what he did for us, it is right here in the transfiguration. He is so amazing. He is so loved. He has such an intimate relationship with the Father. He is perfect. And yet here, he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is saying, I love you that I'm sending myself to die for you. And it's for the sake of bringing you into my glory. In other words, this text is showing you because of what Jesus did on the cross, he is giving us the same transfiguration because of what he's done. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I mean, God just loves us. There's nothing to compare in this life to God's love for us. I mean, the best of human relationships cannot come anywhere close to this. Spousal love, significant other love. I mean, uh, a mother to their child, none of them can compare to this. None of them can do what God has done for us. They're all going to be flawed. They're all going to not measure up. And by the way, they can't even do what Jesus did for us, and that is take our brokenness and make it whole. And so we must listen to him. What does that mean for you? What does it mean to listen to you? If you've been a follower of his for, you know, any period of time, here's where this struck home for me as I was thinking about this text. What's happening here is Jesus, excuse me, Peter, James, and John have been hanging out with Jesus for a long time, and they've gotten to the place where they're basically like, hey, we were this cool guy. He's pretty cool, huh? Check out his magic trick power. They understood he was the Messiah. They didn't fully understand what that meant, but he's pretty cool. God the Father is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just be clear here. This is the living Son of God that I'm giving to you. And so what do you do when people love you, just, just show you just a huge expression of love? What do you do with that? I mean, we do any number of things with that. We stop and reflect on that. We just say, thank you. By the way, we're going to be ending with a time of communion and a time of, of singing. You can just take time to just say thank you. And by the way, man, my little, my little girl, she's in this little kick of saying, Daddy, I love you. And she kind of slurs her words, which I love. I don't want her to, well, I want her to learn not slur, but you get my point. Um, she's like, Daddy, I, I love you, Daddy. And she could have been messing up the room five minutes earlier. I don't forget about that. But she's messing and come up, Daddy, I love you. And my heart just melts. Why? Because that's what this is all about. The relation. How much more are perfectly heavenly Father just wants us to say, God, thank you. I don't, I, I mean, I'm starting to see a little bit more how much you love us, how much you love me. Thank you. I just think it, it's just, it starts there. Um, you know, listen to him. I mean, that's, that's an idea of like, okay, what are the things in your life that you can, because he's loved you so much, you can love him in return. 
by the way, you might need to listen to him in the sense of receiving what he has done for you. I don't think it's coincidence that the last few weeks I've had a number of people, all independently of each other, essentially say this to me, David, does God really forgive the way he says he forgives? Yeah, he does. Or others in the same time frame saying, oh man, I'm carrying around so much guilt in my Oh, this is my life, or this is what I do, or I, I just, I, I'm trying not to, but I just, listen to him. He sent his son to die for you. He loves you that much. He didn't say, come and dot all your I's and cross your T's. He did say, be perfect, but you know what? That's why he sent his son to be perfect on your behalf. And so it's a heart response. We need to take seriously what he said, otherwise we don't understand his love for us. But if you're carrying around guilt, you're not listening to him, actually. You're, you're making it actually a little bit more about yourself, frankly. And by the way, I can resonate with that, so we're all in the same boat there. He sent his son to die for you and for me. Um, what does it mean to listen to him? Or, by the way, maybe you're here today and uh, you, you, don't, you, you haven't become a follower of his. You're just checking him out. Here's the biggest thing he'd say to you. Listen to him in that to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. To believe on his name is it. To receive the life he's lived for you and the death that he died on your behalf. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. And that is what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together are saying, listen to me. You can receive that today. And by the way, we're taking communion. You can, out of your first expression of faith in that, uh, receive communion with us today. Um, but for wherever you're at, let's just, man, God's love is just so good. My favorite verse, potentially in the Bible. I've got a lot of favorite verses in the Bible, like my son, in terms of favorite stuff, best day ever, is verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. We have Jesus. What does listening to him mean to you? Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve this love. Because if it was conditional in any way, we don't measure up. We just don't. We don't measure up. And yet we praise you because you sent your son because of that very, for that very reason. The Son in all His glory and power, which He put aside, even as He walked among us, and, and ultimately taking our iniquity upon us. Lord, we just thank You for that. And Father, we just we want to listen to You. We want to receive that love when it's hard for us to receive. Where it's hard for us to receive that love and to live it out. Lord, help us in that. But most, uh, more than anything else, we just want to we just want to receive and love You today for who You are. Uh, thank you for this time we're getting ready to have with communion. Um, we, we commit this all to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to be taking communion, then we're going to we're sing uh, another um, song or two. Uh, communion is a sacrament, which is essentially an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality that Jesus has given us to remen- remember and be ministered to by his death and resurrection on the cross. I mean, so it's, it's quite straightforward. The juice... Uh, the, the bread being his body broken, the juice being his blood spilt uh, for forgiveness of sins. That when we receive him by faith, uh, though our sins be like scarlet, he makes us white as snow. And so we remember that today. And I would encourage you, wherever you're at, just to kind of take that in, meditate on it, thank him for what 
uh, he's done for you. Confess sins if that's, if that's helpful. Um, if you would like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time today, as I mentioned earlier, you can do that by taking communion with us. Uh, if you, you don't want to or you're, you're a follower of Christ and for whatever reason you don't want to take today, that's totally fine. I don't feel pressure. It won't be awkward for you. You can just remain seated. Um, but there are a couple of stations uh, in the back and up here. One has gluten-free just for what's worth back there. Um, we will uh, just dip it in, take it either up here or in your seat. We won't do it all together at the same time, but just take it on your own accord. Uh, let, me, let me share the words of Jesus, and then we can, we can take. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Drink of it, all of you.